This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. The Gospel reading from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5 and 14. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, may your Spirit be among us, upon us, and in us that our focus may be upon you and you alone would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, look at you. January 1st, and here you are in church. I am impressed. Quite delighted. Thank you for making that choice. Um, January 1st, it's become quite a big thing, and I think in part that's because it's the new, first day of a new year. It's a feeling of clean slates and new beginnings, and if your 2022 was anything like mine, we're glad for a new beginning. In that context, uh, it crossed my mind if you'd made any New Year's resolutions. Anybody make some New Year's resolutions this, this year, this morning? Um, I have resolved to preach shorter sermons. I'm sure you can get, all get behind that, right? If you haven't made any resolutions, uh, don't worry about it. We'll see if something floats to the surface in the course of our morning. We just celebrated the birth of Jesus last Sunday, didn't we? What theologians call the Incarnation. 
Today, we're invited to explore one of the most important realities of the Incarnation, guided by our lectionary reading from Philippians chapter 2. And because I'm a compulsive question asker, we will ask three questions of our text. Very simple ones. How, what, and why? How, what, and why? But first, maybe some immediate context before we look more closely at our reading. And before we do get into our reading, I want to say that a key way in which I prepare for sermons is that I wrestle with the text until I'm able to submit to the text, until I'm actually able to hear what's being said to me, because until I submit, I have nothing of substance or significance to say to you. So periodically, I will say you in the sermon, but I'm really saying it to me. Um, But you can listen in. In the first verses of our chapter, Paul is challenging the selfish ambition and the vain conceit of the Philippian Christians. Unlike the secular world then and now, where self-assertion, domination, and self-aggrandizement is considered acceptable, normal, maybe even virtuous, Paul calls on the Philippian believers to be humble, lowly, deferential, To consider others as better than oneself. To look out for the needs of the other. In part because of our cultural conditioning about what true strength and virtue are, this can sound really quite unattractive, uncomfortable, weak and obsequious, like a Melvin Milktoast kind of Christianity. We'll get back to that perception in a minute. In our reading today, Paul dives into the how, the what, and the why. They and we should not be like the world around us on this matter. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. A quick note on the word mind. The classical Greek range of meaning for the word nuos includes perception, sense, heart, soul, purpose, and will. And while not all of those meanings will be applicable, will be used, intended in the use of the word here. The word itself bears that range of meaning and implications, substantial implications for the use of the word. So it's much more than just a collection of ideas or a way of thinking. Our first question, how? How do we have the mind of Jesus? Well, acquiring the mind of Jesus is both gift and discipline. There's actually much in the life of faith that is that way, both gift and discipline. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. The gift is that gift of grace, without which it would be impossible even to be aware of or interested in a different way of perceiving, thinking, behaving, and relating. It would be impossible to calculate priorities and values in life from a spiritual perspective. It would be impossible to begin to will what God wills. The discipline is the work that makes possible a renewal, a strengthening of the mind-spirit will. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the gift without the discipline will soon fade 
and we'll hearken back wistfully to the days of our first love, the days when our eyes were first opened to spiritual realities and a new way of living and relating, and we'll wonder where it all went. The disciplines that facilitate this renewal and strengthening of the mind-spirit will are not just Christian study, but they're never less than Christian study. So we are invited to exercise the disciplines of reading, prayer, study, meditation, and fellowship that our minds might be renewed and we would be transformed. And that word there is metamorphosis. Let me stop and say something about uh, opportunities for these disciplines to be exercised, of course, our personal lives and our personal devotional lives. I will say that though Tim and Orvin preach these spectacular sermons, a sermon is not enough for the renewal of the mind. And our small groups, as a matter of fact, are a great place to exercise in a loving, safe, and encouraging and mutually accountable environment these disciplines that will help with the renewing and the strengthening of our minds in a godly direction. Question two, what? What is this mind, spirit, and will that Jesus has that we too should have? Paul continues, Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of humans. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here we are confronted by the profound mystery of the self-emptying God. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, the Word of God, as John's prologue describes him in our Gospel reading, emptied himself of status dignity, power, emptied himself of all but love, as the hymn writer says, not only becoming human, but becoming among the weakest, most vulnerable, and least regarded of humans. It might have made sense for God to self-reveal in superhuman form, something befitting God's supreme power and position, so everyone would know it was actually God we're talking about. But that's not what happened, was it? In weakness, vulnerability, and frailty, he was born, as are all humans. And in weakness, vulnerability, and subservience, he died. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, had the story ended there, we certainly wouldn't be talking about it 2,000 years later, would we? Because while Jesus was fully human, he wasn't just human. And here we encounter another of the mysteries of the Incarnation. Because that very human and humiliating death on a cross was followed by something. Jesus' path of humility and obedience passed through the crucible of Gethsemane the horrors of the cross and the dark finality of the tomb. And then, then by the power of an indestructible life, the shocking and scintillating glory of the resurrection. Hallelujah! 
Hallelujah. I hope I'm not too Anglican here, or too un-Anglican here. And then our passage concludes with, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Incarnation, emptying, humility, obedience, death, resurrection, ascension, and exaltation, all in a few glorious verses. Some scholars have suggested that this passage, so lofty in, con in concept and comprehensive in narrative, might have been one of the earliest hymns of the church appropriated by Paul for his purposes here. While that may or may not be true, certainly Paul was capable of uh, poetic flights uh, uh, in his, of his own right. We just need to think of passages like 1 Corinthians 13. But the beauty of the words and the lofty concepts might tempt us to forget their purpose. Because this is not just a hymn of praise to the mysteries of the Incarnation. And here we encounter our third question. Why? Why should we have the mind of Jesus on this? You see, Jesus is not only our Redeemer to be worshipped, He is also our example to be followed. And that's exactly what Paul says at the beginning of our passage, isn't it? Have the mind of Jesus on this matter. Be like Jesus. Don't be like Superman or Wonder Woman or the other comic book heroes. Don't be like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, or any of the other tough guy, big boys don't cry movie heroes. Don't be like the giants of industry and commerce with their vast wealth and power. Don't be like our supremely gifted and physically powerful sporting heroes. Rather, be like Jesus. Be like Jesus who emptied himself of all the true power and status. Power and status, by the way, about which these heroes could only dream. And he stepped into weakness, vulnerability, and disenfranchisement. It was in some ways, not all, but some ways, an unremarkable human life. And a human death remarkable only in its gruesomeness and humiliation. Yet that is the path we are called to follow as his disciples, as his followers. With our minds conditioned or conformed, as Paul would say, by our culture, our sinful and fallen culture, we are likely to find the superheroes, the movie heroes, the business heroes, and our athletic heroes much more attractive than the one who was despised and rejected, who chose weakness, humility, and obedience. Yet, once our mind has begun to be renewed and we have begun to be transformed, we begin to see that this path is not the path of the Melvin and Martha milk toasts of the world, it is the path of great cost, enormous courage, and incredible spiritual power. It's unlikely to lead to fame, wealth, or power in this world's terms, but it is the path of spiritual power. Just a word of caution here. Even if we give up the pursuit of this world's powers but crave spiritual power, we're already in the ditch. 
Jesus' power in his earthly ministry didn't come from the fact that he was God and he retained or or rediscovered some of that power or clung to some of that power, though I'm sure he was tempted. Rather, it came by giving it all up over and over again, emptying himself over and over and over again, that Jesus, or that God the Father would be focused, that God the Father would be glorified, It came from the only thing that he didn't empty himself of, love. And the Father's power was made manifest in the simple and prosaic currency of friendship, walking along a road together, sharing a ride in a boat, going to a wedding or another feast, sharing other kinds of meals, and so on. But basically, It was seeing people, loving those people, and stepping into their reality, believing that the love will overcome the darkness, the sin, the sickness, the loneliness, the despair, and the fear. And it did, didn't it? Miraculously so. Throughout history, people have followed the path of self-emptying obedience. Most of them we know nothing about because that's the nature of the path. It is, by definition, the pursuit of obscurity. Yet there have occasionally been people who have sought to be faithfully self-emptying, living their lives in loving service of others out of the limelight, and still became famous. I think of people like St. Francis of Assisi, Brother Lawrence, Mother Teresa. And I think that has happened only occasionally because there are so few who could be trusted with the fame. Because in that direction, terrible danger lies. And we need to think back only a few months and years to all kinds of famous spiritual leaders who have had catastrophic falls that have impacted not only them and their ministry, but so many other people. So, if you are seeking to be faithfully obedient in your service of God and others and nobody seems to notice, thank God that you're being kept out of harm's way. And don't worry, God will be glorified in and through you. You may not be, but God will. And when you recognize that God's Spirit is upon you and His power is working through you often in some subtle way, and God is being glorified, your heart will be filled with awe, wonder, gratitude, and joy at the glorious things that God has done and is doing. On this first day of the new year, this day of clean slates and new beginnings, appropriate the mind, spirit, and will of Jesus, seeking to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, empty yourself of all but love. Be a friend. Share a walk, a meal, a life, without affectation or even agenda, trusting that God will be glorified and his power made manifest in these simple yet sacramental deeds. How's that for a New Year's resolution? Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.